I'm Martin Shipton, Chief Reporter of Media Wales, and you're listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. Martin Shipton, and today I'm with Paul Davis, who is the leader of the Welsh Conservatives at the National Assembly. Paul, you're a proud West Walian, aren't you? Absolutely. I was born and brought up in Cardiganshire, it was called then, obviously. It's now Ceredigion. I was brought up on a family farm just outside Ponchan, and my parents were farmers, and I couldn't speak a word of English until I was five years old and um, yeah I had a a, a very good upbringing and uh, I'm very lucky that I had the parents I had. Were your parents political people at all? My father was very political, my father's family were very much involved with the Conservative Party and that's how I actually got involved with the Conservative Party. I used to go around uh, with him when he used to go around with various Conservative candidates introducing them to the uh, community. I used to go around with him knocking on doors and I used to go around with him sticking posters up as well. So I did that from a a very, very uh, early age. But I I also joined the Conservative Party because I believe in its values. I'm a Conservative because I believe in freedom of the individual. I'm a Conservative because I believe in choice. I believe in opportunity and I believe in personal responsibility. And that's why uh, I'm a Conservative. And that's why I'm sitting here today as leader of the Welsh Conservatives in the Assembly. So what age would you say you were when you became really conscious of politics? I was very young, I think. I was probably uh, nine or ten, uh, and I remember waiting up all night watching the TV when there was a general election on, for example. You know, I was a bit geeky when it came to politics. I was fascinated by politics, uh, and I was fascinated by the fact that, you know, you could go around talking to to people, knocking on their doors, talking to them about the issues that uh, mattered to them. And I know this is a bit of a cliché, but I'm in politics because I want to make a difference. I want to improve people's lives. So you remember the election in 1979 when Margaret Thatcher won? I just remember, and I remember exactly where I was, because my parents were at the Ceredigion Count uh, at that time, and, and I was staying with some neighbours, some friends. And, uh, they were actually looking after me while, while my parents were at the Count, so I can actually remember where I was when Margaret Thatcher was elected as the first woman Prime Minister. Did you jump with joy? Absolutely, because I was a, I was a Conservative then. I'm, I'm still a Conservative, of course. And yes, uh, and... Uh, as I said, I found politics fascinating. Because Ceredigion isn't really very fruitful ground for the Conservatives, is it? No, I think I'm right in saying the last time Ceredigion had a Conservative MP was back in 1880. So absolutely not. And uh, I remember going to school, friends would pull my leg because I was a Conservative. And when the community charge uh, was uh, introduced... Better known uh, as the poll tax. Of course. And my friends um, had the nickname of Paul Tax. That's what they used to call me, Paul Tax, because obviously I was a, a Conservative. So, yeah, I had lots of friends uh, who always pulled my leg because I was fascinated uh, with politics. And then, I think, well, you, were, you were at school, where were you at school? In Llandysol, were That's you? right, yes. Yeah. yeah. And Because that's a, a market town, essentially, isn't it, Llandysol, uh, to a large extent? Yeah, because I lived just outside Llandysol, uh, so I went to Llandysol uh, Grammar School, as it was uh, then, uh, and then it became a, a comprehensive school, obviously, uh, after that. Did you, you must have come into contact with quite a lot of Welsh nationalists, even as a young lad. Yes, and of course I used to be teased about the fact that I was a Conservative, because as you said, you know, Conservatism in Ceredigion uh, wasn't that fruitful. Uh, However, saying that, of course, going back to 1979, we came very close, actually, to winning uh, the seat from Geraint Howells, because Emlyn Thomas was the Conservative candidate uh, at the time, uh, and I think I'm right in saying he came within about 2,000 votes uh, of taking the seat. 
uh, of Geraint Tower. So at that time, we uh, had quite a lot of support in Ceredigion. And, you know, obviously, uh, I, I enjoyed the campaigning very much. So I don't think, Paul, you went to university, did you? No, I didn't. Straight after my A-levels, uh, I joined uh, Lloyds Bank. And I worked for Lloyds Bank for nearly 20 years before being elected uh, as the Assembly Member for Priscilla uh, Pembrokeshire. So I worked myself up through uh, the bank. And my last job with the bank was as a bank manager looking after some three to 400 small businesses in Pembrokeshire. What was it that uh, drew you to banking then? I think I'd had enough of studying, if I'm absolutely honest, and I just wanted to go into the world uh, of work. I was interested in finance, and that's how uh, I applied for a job with uh, Lloyds Bank. And as I said, I worked for them for nearly 20 years. My dad was a bank manager as well, and he was from Pembrokeshire. That's right, yes. He's still, yes, uh, yes. He's still around, he's yes. 92 now. Um, yeah. I know that he, uh, shall we say, hasn't been deeply impressed with the changes in uh, banking that have taken place. It's a lot less personal now. You you ring up a call centre and they make a judgement on a computer as to whether you should get a loan or not. In your day, was there still a certain personal element around? Oh, absolutely. It was very much personal. And when I first joined the bank, it was about building personal relationships uh, with your customers and uh, I regret very much that it has changed so much that it has become very impersonal I think and uh, very call centre uh, orientated because I think in banking you have to have that personal relationship and again that's why I was drawn I think to the world of banking because of course you've dealt with people on a daily basis and, and it's similar to politics politics is about people uh, and that's why I'm in politics, and that's I, th- I think that's why I actually went into banking as well. And of course, in areas like your constituency, mm-hmm. like what eventually became your constituency, there is a record of quite a lot of bank branches being shut down, making it more and more difficult for local people to access their money. Uh, absolutely, uh, and I regret very much uh, the number of branches that have actually closed uh, in my constituency. If you take Lloyds Bank as an example... Lloyds Bank only has one and a half branches left in the whole of my constituency and I do regret that very much because people still want that personal touch, people still want that personal contact where they can actually walk into a branch and talk to real people about their finances and I do regret very much that so many branches have actually closed uh, over the years. So you were working for Lloyds Bank for 20 years, mm. to what extent were you involved in politics during that period? I was also very much involved with uh, politics during that period. As you know, Martin, I stood in the Ceredigion parliamentary by-election back in 2000, which we both did, we did. Uh, at the time. So I was very, very uh, involved with uh, politics. So I, I was doing as much as possible outside my working hours with the Conservative Party uh, and with campaigning. And again, the best aspect of being a politician is the campaigning side of things. I love being on the doorstep, talking to people about the issues that actually matter to them, because politics is about people. So you were the candidate in the Ceredigion by-election. You managed to get more votes than Labour, didn't you, at that time? <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, yes. <laughs> I didn't. I only got 55, <laughs> but then I was specifically asking people not to vote for me. You were, I remember. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, was great fun, actually. It was, very yeah, much so, yes. And it was a, a very short campaign as well, wasn't was, it? Because yes. I think it was only a two- or three-week campaign because Conor Davis suddenly resigned his seat and obviously there was a a very quick by-election. That's right. So you actually got into the Assembly in 2007. What was it that made you think about going to the Assembly? Because obviously you'd stood for Westminster, but did you have a particular 
ambition to go to Cardiff Bay? Well, I could see that the Assembly was becoming much more important in people's daily lives, responsible for health, uh, education, economic development, local government, all these things touching people's daily lives. And that's why I actually wanted to become an Assembly member, because I could see, obviously, the importance of the Assembly, and that's why, obviously, I'm very privileged to be here. Now, I imagine... Uh, I don't know this for sure, but I imagine that at the time of the referendum in 1997, you were probably campaigning for a no vote, were you? I I voted against the establishment of the Assembly at the time, but now we've got it. We've got to make it work in the interests of the people of Wales, and that's why I'm determined to change the current administration. That's why I'm determined to kick Labour uh, out of uh, power and to give the people of Wales uh, hope uh, in going forward. So in 2007, you came into the Assembly. Unlike your two predecessors as leaders leaders of the Conservative group, you actually took a seat, a first-past-the-post seat from Labour. What sort of effort did you have to put in to get that result? It was a, a lot of effort, if I'm absolutely honest. Still working for Lloyds Bank, obviously, but I was uh, campaigning quite a lot. Probably 18 months before that election, I was out on the doorstep in Priscelli, Pembrokeshire, again talking to people about the issues that uh, mattered uh, to them. And I was doing that on uh, a Saturday and a couple of nights uh, in the evening, especially during the summer, I'd also do do that. So yes, it did take a, a lot of work, a lot of effort to actually capture the seat. And of course, I took the seat uh, back in 2007 when Tony Blair was the Prime Minister. So you get into the Assembly and then... After a period of time, of course, by 2011, uh, Nick Bourne, who had been the leader, lost his seat. Mm. And then at that time, you didn't actually put your name forward to be his successor, did you? Uh, why, why, was, why was that? Because the, you were much touted at the time, and in fact you became the interim leader. I mean, it's been suggested to me that you, you had a sort of certain lack of self-confidence at the time. Is there any truth in that? Well, I didn't think I was ready for the job because I'd only been an Assembly member for four years. I'd only been a full-time politician for four years and I felt that I needed much more experience to take on a job uh, like this. And that's why, obviously, I put my name forward last year uh, for this job because I felt that I was ready to do a job like this last year, but I wasn't ready in 2011. Taking you on another five years... We get to 2016, and of course there is the referendum on EU membership. Mm. You at the time were very much in favour of remaining in the EU. Mm. What was it that led you to adopt that particular position at that time? Why did you think it was worthwhile for Wales and the UK to stay in the EU? I think I came to the conclusion, of course, uh, it would be generally good for uh, the uh, economy. And if you look back at European history, of course... The European Union was really formed because of security purposes to prevent uh, wars, for example. And I think during the referendum, not enough of that was talked about, if I'm absolutely honest. Nobody mentioned why it was actually formed, why it was put together uh, in the first place. So, yeah, I came to the conclusion that uh, probably at that time it was best to remain in the European Union. However, people have made a decision now to leave uh, the European Union, the people of Wales and indeed the people of the United Kingdom has made that decision and uh, we've got to respect their wishes. So is the reason why you now say that um, uh, the UK must come out of the EU that 
the referendum result was that we should come out? Or is it because you have had a Damascene conversion? Do you believe that Britain will economically... I mean, you're, you're a former bank manager, so you know a bit about economics. Do you actually believe that the UK will be better off outside the EU against all or the vast majority of economists who say that it's a very dangerous thing to do? Nobody knows what's going to happen in the future as far as our economy is concerned. But I believe in democracy and uh, people have made the decision to actually leave the European Union and we must follow uh, through on their wishes. We must respect their wishes and therefore that's why we have to leave the European Union because that's what the people of Wales and the people of Britain has decided to do. I notice, Paul, that you're not actually saying that you think that the UK will be economically better off outside the well, EU. Nobody knows nobody knows what's going to happen as far as the economy is concerned. But we've got to be positive uh, as well in our outlook. Whatever happens, we've got to be very, very positive uh, going forward. And we've uh, got, got, got to uh, make sure uh, that we have a strong uh, economy going forward. And that's why uh, I'm a Conservative, because uh, I believe uh, in uh, supporting businesses, because it's businesses that creates uh, the jobs, that creates the wealth, that actually pays for our vital public uh, services. But no one knows what's going to happen in uh, the future. What governments um, can do is just to cr try and create the conditions to make sure that uh, businesses can thrive in the future. Do you think that it's been to the economic advantage of the UK to be in the single market and the customs union? Well, of course, there have been uh, advantages in uh, that. And, you know, um, commentators uh, have, um, over the years, told us what those advantages are. But the issue now is that people have decided to leave the European Union and I am a Democrat, I believe in democracy, and therefore that's why we've got to respect the wishes of the people. But don't you think that those on the other side of the argument, uh, who, whose side you were on at one point, have a, have, a, have a point when they say that the economic disadvantage particularly of leaving the EU with no deal, would be cataclysmic. And I mean, we're already seeing, aren't we, a lot, lots of employers saying that they're going to pull out and there have already been plants shut down. Um, I mean, isn't that very telling that it, it is a dangerous thing to do? And in a funny way, it's sort of counter to conservatism because conservatism is really about keeping, to a large extent, keeping things and preserving the best that already exists. And isn't this a bit of a leap into the dark? And wouldn't it be better for the uh, UK to stay within the EU, where it's had a very powerful voice, and to seek any reforms that are necessary within it? Well, I've made it quite clear that we should leave the European Union with a deal. That's definitely in our interests uh, to do that. And I hope that we do leave the European Union with a deal. And that's why I supported the Prime Minister's deal uh, over the last six months because that was the right way of actually leaving the European Union in an orderly fashion. And who knows what's going to happen when we leave the European Union. Nobody can predict what the economy is going to be like in three, six, twelve months' uh, time. No one uh, can do that. But there are some very clear predictions from disaster economists, if you like, and from public bodies from the UK government itself as to 
the perils that will come about as a consequence of no deal. I mean, you know, food shortages, medicine shortages, that sort of thing. Does that concern you? We've, we've, we've heard predictions before, mind, haven't we? And those predictions haven't come true. Uh, what, is, what is important is that we do actually leave the European Union uh, because we have to respect the wishes uh, of the people because they decided that we should leave the European Union. But we've got to leave the European Union in an orderly fashion and that's why I have been supporting the Prime Minister's uh, deal because that was uh, one of the best ways of actually leaving the European Union in an orderly fashion. Boris Johnson, who has just been elected as the leader of the Conservative Party, has said that he would be prepared to take the UK out of the European Union without a deal on the 31st of October. Do you support that course of action? Well, I support the course of action in that a no deal should remain on the table because that is a good bargaining chip. But Boris Johnson has also said that his preferred choice is actually leaving the European Union with a deal. He has made that absolutely clear. Uh, and, of course, um, he will now be uh, negotiating with uh, the European Union uh, to leave with a, a deal. He's made that absolutely clear. Do you think that the European Union is going to be open to a change in the terms of the withdrawal agreement as negotiated with Theresa May? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I would have thought that the European Union would uh, want to uh, talk to a new uh, Prime Minister uh, and discuss this with a new Prime Minister because, you know, that, that, that's what they would want to do. Do you trust Boris Johnson? Well, of course I trust Boris Johnson. Uh, he has now been elected the leader of the Conservative Party and uh, Prime Minister. Do you know about his history? I know a little bit about his history, yes. But what's important is not where he's come from, not what he's uh, said in the past, it's where he's going. That's what's important. Do you know that when he was a journalist working in Brussels, he gained a very bad reputation for making up stories? Do you know that? No, I, I don't know what you're referring to, but uh, I don't know that, no. Let me read this to you. This is from a book by Dennis McShane, former Europe mm -hmm. minister. Boris Johnson had a small problem. He had been fired from the Times for inventing quotations and attributing them to a professor at Oxford who had trusted Johnson. The poor professor was publicly ridiculed after Johnson put words into his mouth that were never said. When Johnson arrived in Brussels, his first story sent to the Daily Telegraph was that the symbol of European governance, the Berlaymont building in Brussels, was going to be blown up. All that had been announced was that Berlaymont, where asbestos was found, would be evacuated when the asbestos problem was treated. But for Johnson, the idea of telling his readers that the symbol of the Brussels system was going to be blown to smithereens was too exciting to be diffused by the facts. He became notorious amongst his colleagues there for persistently and repeatedly making up stories. And there was actually a verse about him that was written at the time which said, Boris told such dreadful lies it made one gasp and stretch one's eyes. And he went on to write a story which was billed as an exclusive on the front page of the Daily Telegraph in which he reported that um, Jacques Delors, who was the president uh, at the time, 
wanted to scrap the rotation of the EU presidency into centralised power in Brussels, the member states would lose their remaining veto rights. And as the book says, this was simply untrue. The Sunday Telegraph front page headline was Delors planned to rule Europe. When a paper indulges in such fantasy, the chances of citizens knowing the truth fly out of the window. So he's got a serial reputation for making stories up about the European Union and was very responsible in the view, not just of myself, but of many people, for denigrating the EU over many years to the point where a Brexit vote, in a sense, became inevitable. Do you think that such a man is a suitable Prime Minister? Look, I've made it absolutely clear uh, over the last uh, few weeks that some of the comments that he has made in the past have been unacceptable uh, and I've uh, made that clear in an article I wrote for the Sunday Times. However, I believe that he has genuinely apologised for some of those uh, comments and what's important now is what he does as Prime Minister and as leader of this uh, country. That's what's uh, important. It's not what he has done before, it's what he does now that's important. What is it, uh, Paul, that gives you confidence that he is going to mend his ways and be honest in the future when he hasn't been in the past? Well, I'm confident that he will do a very good job uh, as uh, Prime Minister of this uh, country. I am confident that uh, he will sort uh, Brexit. And we have to move on from this uh, impasse because we are at an impasse at the moment as a country. And I'm confident that he will be able to sort that uh, impasse. Do you think he could have did a good job as the Foreign Secretary? I believe he has done a good job as Foreign Secretary and I believe he will do a good job as Prime Minister. Not many people outside the UK think he did a good job as Foreign Secretary. Well, uh, you know, you'd expect perhaps some countries and some people to say that, but I'm confident that he will be an excellent Prime Minister. And if he isn't, would you be prepared to condemn him? Well, look, I'm confident uh, that he will be a good Prime Minister uh, and that he will uh, obviously uh, meet some of the challenges that we are actually facing uh, as a country, and, that, and he is uh, up for uh, those challenges, I believe. Let's turn to Welsh politics mm. uh, specifically, Paul. What is your vision for the Conservative Party in Wales and at the Assembly? I've been asked this question quite a lot uh, over the last uh, six to 12 months. What do I stand for? Well, I stand for uh, empowering uh, people. I stand for getting governments uh, off our backs. I stand for supporting businesses, which actually creates the jobs, which creates the wealth, which actually pays for our vital uh, public services. I stand for promoting accountability and I stand for boosting localism. That is my vision for Wales, and that's why I actually want to become First Minister. I want to get rid of this uh, Labour administration, which has failed the people of Wales for the last 20 years. It's not devolution that has failed the people of Wales. It is the Labour Party that has actually failed devolution, and that's why I'm determined over the next uh, 18 months to do everything that I can uh, to make sure that I become First Minister. What do you think is your pathway to the First Minister's office? We've got a lot of work to do as a party, and that's why I've already started going uh, out and about, uh, visiting uh, businesses, visiting third-party uh, uh, organisations, visiting communities uh, across Wales, talking to them about the issues that actually matter to them. But we have got a lot of work to do, uh, and as well as holding this current Welsh Labour government to account, my job 
is also to provide that credible alternative, to provide that choice for the people of Wales. And we've already started on that journey because we are now looking to start developing our Assembly election uh, manifesto and we'll be doing that uh, over the next 12 months. As you know, Paul, the reason why the Labour Party has remained in power over this 20-year period is that the opposition to it in Wales is split. So obviously the Conservatives have got um, a level of support. Plaid Cymru also has got a level of support. Now, under the electoral system that exists, Labour has never actually attained a majority. You're not seriously suggesting, are you, that the Conservatives on their own could attain a majority? My job over the next 18 months, come the Assembly election in 2021, is to win as many Conservative seats uh, as possible. That is my goal, that is my objective, that is what I'll be uh, fighting for in the next uh, 18 months. And we'll have to wait and see what the outcome of uh, the election is, and we've got to then take it from there. Would you be up for any kind of coalition arrangement with Plaid Cymru? Well, we'll have to wait and see uh, what the outcome of the election is in 2021. Who knows uh, what uh, numbers we will have, what numbers Plaid uh, will have. Uh, but I've always said that my door is open to actually work with any uh, opposition party to hold this current Welsh Labour government to account. But my job uh, over the next 18 months is to win as many Conservative seats as possible. You wouldn't rule out an arrangement with Plaid Cymru after 2021? Well, you wouldn't expect me to make any arrangements before the election. We've got to wait and see what happens in that election. But you wouldn't rule it out? Uh, absolutely not. Of course, it would be uh, nonsensical to rule uh, anything out after the election, but my job is to win as many Conservative seats as possible at the Assembly elections in 2021. All parties tend to be broad churches and they have mm. people who have different perspectives on things and Plaid Cymru is no different to that in the sense that it's got people who would very much um, call themselves socialists and there are others who have a more, shall we say, cultural nationalist approach. It's not quite as um, polarised as that but uh, there are definitely different wings in Plaid Cymru. Now there are some in Plaid Cymru who would regard it as absolute anathema to have any dealings with the Conservative Party. I think Adam Price has said that what he would not be prepared to do would be to have a coalition with the Conservatives. How would you feel if, and I know we're talking hypothetically here, but it is important for people to um, uh, analyse these things and to be aware of where things may go after an election. How would you feel if Plaid won uh, more seats than the Conservatives, but Labour was still the biggest party, but quite a little few number of seats short of a, of a majority? If Adam Price came to see you and said, look, Paul, um, we can work together on this, I'm afraid that because of the problems I've got in my party uh, with the left wing, I'm not going to be able to um, have you as a member of the administration, but you can have a confidence and supply deal and we'll work out some budget deal with you. How would you feel about that? Well, it's very hypothetical, isn't it? And that's well, it's why, perhaps quite likely. And that's, why, and that's why we've got to wait and see what happens at the Assembly uh, elections. You wouldn't expect me to agree to anything 18 months out from an Assembly election. We've got to see the outcome of that uh, election and we've got to then take it from there. But you're not ruling that scenario out? 
Well, who knows uh, how many seats we win? Who knows how many seats uh, Plaid Cymru win? Who knows how many seats the Labour Party win? We've got to wait to see the outcome of that election before anything like that can be talked about. There's talk, isn't there, of the possibility of a general election soon. New Prime Minister in number 10 possibly going to have continuing problems in terms of getting any deal through and it could go either way in terms of there being some no confidence vote by the House of Commons or alternatively Boris Johnson might just decide right let's seek a new mandate so there could be a general election by either of those routes. How much of a threat do you think the Brexit party is to um, Conservative support in Wales? Well, we don't know whether there will be a general election. The next general election is scheduled in for 2022. Uh, however, you're right, who knows what's going to happen over the next uh, six months. And that's why it's important uh, that Boris Johnson is now our leader, because I believe he has a plan to uh, deal with uh, Brexit. And the Brexit party, don't forget, only exists because of that single issue. And I believe now we've got Boris Johnson as leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, he will sort out uh, Brexit. And I therefore believe that the Brexit party will no longer be a a threat uh, to the Conservative Party. So the fox is shot, as it were? I'd like to think so. Paul Davis, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week.